Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as you speak to us this morning through your word, open our hearts and our minds to hear what we need to hear, to love you more fully, to seek to love others more fully. Speak the word to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's first reading is the opening of the Psalter, Psalm 1. Listen now for God's word. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit at the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Listen again to God's word for us. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word, with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to your everlasting goodness, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The passage we have this morning from Ephesians is an incredibly beautiful prayer from Paul. Addressed, of course, first to its recipients in Ephesus, but by extension to all of us who have read it across the generations and centuries since then. All those of us seeking to know and to grow in Christ Jesus, our Creator and our Redeemer, more fully. It's a prayer that sings of God's love for us. A love expressed not simply in the fact that God created and crafted each single one of us in the divine image and as part of God's good creation, 
but also in the reality that God came incarnate to save us from sin and from death, from the ways that we stray from God, the ways we wound ourselves, the way we wound, ways we wound others. But as Paul prayerfully writes in this letter, God's love for us is an infinite love that extends beyond any sin we could ever commit. It's a love that continuously pours forth and chases after us, a love beyond all imaginable measurements of width, of length, of height, of depth. It's a love that seeks to dwell in our hearts, to live in our hearts, to inhabit our hearts, and overcome any misguided impulses we may have to love idols in place of God. Now, I found myself particularly taken with this imagery, uh, this metaphor of being rooted and grounded in God's love. And I had somehow not really focused on this image or this passage from Ephesians before it arose in a Lenten prayer group that some of us joined in last winter. Uh, As many of you know, we were using the book, Writing to God, 40 Days of Praying with My Pen uh, by Rachel Hackenberg. And in this book, you would write personal prayers to God for 40 days in a row. Uh, Each day, you'd build on the prompts that were provided in the book, but ultimately, honestly, you went wherever your mind wandered on a given day, in conversation, in prayer, with our Creator. Now, the daily practice of writing prayers was a really powerful way to pray and to be grown in relationship with God, although for me, at least, it was often a little hard to get started, to get going writing each day, but once the pen was moving... It really enabled me uh, to flow in prayer, to flow in that conversation with God, sharing about what was going on in my life, what was on my heart. And on the 37th day, this passage from Ephesians was the prompt with that imagery of being rooted and grounded in love. It's a different metaphor from, for our relationship with God than the ones we've had a chance to look at and focus on recently, namely the metaphor of us as God's followers being God's sheep, as well as the metaphor of us as God's followers being God's disciples, God's students, God's pupils. The sheep metaphor especially highlights the ways in which we are utterly dependent on God for food, for water, for guidance, and for salvation, for God to come find us and bring us home when we stray. That sheep metaphor also highlights how God knows each one of us by name and how we can hear and recognize our good shepherd's voice if we allow our ears to hear, if we pay attention. The disciple metaphor, by complementary contrast, especially highlights the ways in which we have a great deal to learn and to do to follow in Christ's path, to grow in the mind of Christ. While that opportunity to act and to do is, of course, a gift of God's grace, his saving grace in Jesus Christ, the discipleship metaphor for our relationship with God highlights the ways we have things to do. As a professor of mine once said, the gift, the gift of being a creature made and redeemed in God's image, that gift gives you something to do. Namely, to learn, like a a student, the discipline of loving God with all your heart, soul, and might, and of loving your neighbor as yourself. But this image of our being rooted and grounded in love, it highlights different aspects of our relationship with God. For starters, it's a far more stationary metaphor. Sheep move, 
disciples move, they walk, they follow, unfortunately they wander, but they can be beckoned back again into the fold. But being rooted and grounded in love is about being firmly put and securely grown in place, in one immovable location. It's like being the prosperous tree of Psalm 1, planted by streams of water so that you can bear the fullness and the fruitfulness of God's love. And in that respect, I think this image of being rooted and grounded in love hits a fundamental aspect of who we are and whose we are in two crucial ways. First, from the start, we are God's creatures, and God loves us. God made and knit each one of us together fearfully and wonderfully as part of God's good creation. And just as parents long for the flourishing of their children, even and especially when their children have gone astray, God longs and aches for our well-being. Now, realizing this creative grace, this love that God has for us is incredibly important. Realizing that God made you intentionally, purposefully, in the divine image, with gifts and talents to share and thrive in community with others and with God, that your value and your worth lies fundamentally rooted and grounded in that immovable reality, and not in how much money you have, or how big your house is, or what other people think of you, or what you accomplish, or how religious or good you are or appear to be, or what school you went to, or how far your career has advanced, or how attractive you are, or how much power you have, or how successful you are, or how much any of your children embody any of those things. When you recognize that your worth is not rooted in any of that, but is rooted in God, that your worth and your value is immovably rooted in God and nothing else, that provides the secure basis from which you can ignore the allure of idols, from which you can have a strong love and respect for yourself, a divinely crafted child of God with gifts and talents to share and bless others, and that healthy self Love enables you to love others, to care for them instead of idolatrously craving their approval or craving power and control over them or craving possessions to match them. Being rooted and grounded in love means securely knowing who and whose you are such that you can consistently and routinely, habitually bear fruits of the Spirit, as Paul highlighted in his letter to the Galatians, those fruits being love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit are manifestations of Christ dwelling in one's heart and enfolding you and growing you evermore in the caring, compassionate, joyful, forgiving, forbearing mind of Christ. Being rooted and grounded in God's love also entails, of course, recognition that God's not simply lovingly made us, but that God would go to any length to save us and care for us, which was and is borne out most powerfully in God coming incarnate as Christ, God the Father sending God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit to bear, to suffer, to carry the infinite consequences of our sin on our behalf. And it's key to highlight here that God did not begrudgingly endure the eternal consequences of sin for us, of creaturely alienation and estrangement from the divine, but rather God did so lovingly. 
God opened the possibility for us to be rerooted, regrounded again in divine love in light of our inextricable value to God, in light of God's love for us as creatures made in his image. It's because God cares for us so much, again, in the same way that a parent would long for the well-being of a wayward child, that God would go to this length to save us, even to the point of death on the cross. God's saving grace in Christ Jesus is about restoring us to the beauty and the reality of God's creative grace in making us in the first place. It's about rerooting us securely and deeply in God's love. And clearly, we have to receive that saving grace in repentance and in faith, in recognition of how we so often attempt to root ourselves in something other than God's love. But salvation fits and makes sense within the reality that we have infinite value in God's eyes, that God wants us to thrive, and that the goodness with which God made each of us is planted far more deeply than all that has gone wrong. Now, I think a key that lets us merge this metaphor of being rooted and grounded in God's love, of being a tree planted by streams of water, The key to merging that metaphor with the metaphors of being God's sheep and of being God's disciples comes in this passage uh, from Ephesians, where Paul notes that being rooted and grounded in God's love is something that happens in, quote, our inner being. So while we're called to be sheep and disciples with our outward bodies, our outward actions, moving about in this world in ways that follow Christ in word and in deed, We're called to be those trees securely rooted in place in our inner being, such that our thoughts, our desires, our will are strengthened through God's spirit, through faith, such that Christ dwells in our heart, such that we are filled with the fullness of God and can bear those fruits of the spirit. Because brothers and sisters, there's a peace that comes that grows with knowing you are made innately valuable and loved more than you could imagine by God. A peace that frees you to love, again, yourself, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. And to run with the metaphor a little bit, uh, this is a peace that takes time to grow and to develop, but it is a direction one is moving and growing in day by day when we realize that love divine is for us. Now, a trusting response to the warmth of God's love. Again, it's something that can take time to grow and to unfold. While some folks might have dramatic breakthroughs on that front, my experience has been more one of daily watering, daily tending, daily growing, daily looking upward to the love of God that is continuously shining down, even on days that look and feel cloudy, even on days that are filled with storms. For me, a trusting response to God's love for us has entailed ongoing growth in learning how and where to see God at work in my life and in the world. It's taken time to grow and learn and lean into where God's love and God's presence is, especially in times of hardship. As some of you know, uh, the Discipleship Committee has been having a book study this summer uh, by a about a book called, or on a book called Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone by James Martin. And it has some helpful thoughts on this front 
of where we can look and see and grow in our trust in God's love for us. I'll just put in a plug as well that we have read half the book and discussed half the book, but you can join us on August 22nd to read the second half if you so desire. Uh, Martin's book, I should note, though, is focused on personal prayer in connection with God, on growing in relationship with God uh, through times of intentionally and regularly sharing about your life with God, talking with and to God about your joys and your sorrows, your concerns, your hopes, as you would with a loving parent, a caring sibling, or a close friend. And I'll note that this can seem daunting at first, especially if one thinks about prayer as either, one, primarily something entailing asking God for help in emergency situations, and usually on behalf of somebody else, or two, if you think about prayer as something only certain people can do regularly or can do well, uh, usually, presumably, somebody who's more spiritual than you or more rooted and grounded in God's love than you feel you are. And there's a really strong chapter in this book, Learning to Pray. It's the fourth chapter on this front, and it's entitled, quote, Praying Without Knowing It, Nine Types of Prayer That You May Be Unaware Of. This list uh, entails ways we often pray without realizing it, or more specifically, Martin, uh, James Martin, the author, argues that these are moments where prayer is budding. Uh, these are literally invitations from God to talk with God, to see and hear and feel God at work in the world and in your heart, to recognize God's presence, God's creative and saving grace in you and around you. Martin argues that we're probably hearing from God all the time and being invited to pray all the time. But we just haven't realized what's going on yet. And prayer is again opening our eyes to the everyday glories of God's creative grace and God's saving grace that are all around us. So the list of times you may be praying or being invited by God to pray without even realizing it entails the following. Number one, you pause to think about something that inspires you. This could be something beautiful somebody has done, some act of care or generosity or justice, or some gripping piece of music or art. It could be something beautiful you've witnessed in creation, perhaps the daily bread beauty of a riveting sunrise or sunset. But that inspiration, James argues, or Martin argues, is the beginnings of a prayer, of recognizing God's presence. The second one on the list is, quote, you're aware that you feel compassion. Now, this entails you actually care about another person's suffering, uh, whether it's somebody near or far, somebody you know or a stranger, and you want to do something about it, whether it's a simple gesture of, I see you and I care about you, how are you doing, or it's some larger assistance. The third is you wonder about God. Now, this wondering could be something positive or it could be something critical. It could be a sense that the universe is too amazingly knit together to produce life, to be totally random. Or, alternatively, it could be a sense in the face of some horrible suffering of a critique of God, of God, how could you let this happen? God, where are you? God, are you even there? Martin holds that these questions themselves are the onset of prayer, of seeking God. Prayers of awe and prayers of outrage are equally prayers. And we know this because the Psalms well demonstrate to that fact. 
The fourth thing on the list is, quote, you wonder if God approves of your actions. Now, this is really a sense of conscience and whether you have done, uh, whether you, whether what you have done, whether it's in one instance or habitually over time, is something good, true, and right, or rather something wayward, wrong, and false. I imagine everybody has felt a prick of conscience at some point, and Martin holds that this is an invitation from God to talk about it, to talk it out together, to pray about it. The fifth thing on the list is you wonder about the meaning of life. Martin writes here, quote, sometimes you're almost embarrassed to ask yourself, what's the point? Sure, you have loving relationships in your life, a decent job, maybe children, but you wonder if you're meant for more. This pondering of ultimate questions, this contemplation of reality can be a kind of prayer. Martin writes. The sixth thing on the list is you're aware that you are grateful. And this is a spontaneous sense of gratitude that arises in response to something or someone. And in this case, quote, your gratitude feels as if it needs a place to go. Or you might look at a beautiful sight, a flower in bloom, snow on your porch, a bird that flies by and say, I'm so grateful to see that. End quote. The seventh thing on the list is you try to center or connect, and this is the one that I think most directly seems to fit with the imagery of being rooted and grounded in love. But here, Martin has in mind a desire to calm anxieties and to focus your mind, to feel connection with others, to feel connection with the universe. But he notes that there's often here as well a sense, quote, that there's a calm that's coming from outside of you. It's not something that you're just generating, and you wonder where it comes from. That, too, is a beginning of a prayer, a beginning of seeking and sensing God's presence. The eighth thing, eighth thing on the list is that you spontaneously ask God for help, and this is probably the most classic prayer that comes when facing some immense difficulty, stress, or sadness. It's simply crying out to God for help. Uh, and this is not necessarily something that's deeply thought out, so much as visceral and reflexive. Martin sees this, too, as a start of seeking God. And the ninth thing on the list is that you just wish you could pray. And he notes this as, quote, you may be in a church for a wedding or a funeral, seeing somebody praying in a pew, and you just feel a sudden longing, a desire for prayer itself, and you wonder what it would be like to pray. All these things that Martin lists, inspiration, compassion, gratitude, conscience, a desire to connect and be grounded, questions and thoughts about God, about meaning and purpose, and even a simple desire to pray. These are all germinations, the seedlings of relationship with God, of sensing God's presence in and around you, of growing your heart and having your heart being grown to, to be rooted and grounded in God's love. These are all the seedlings of that longing to know and to rest in God's creative grace and God's saving grace and subsequently to be filled with the fullness of God in ways that bear amazing fruits of the Spirit beyond anything you can imagine. As always and as ever, sisters and brothers, there's more to be said on all these fronts. But I want to close this morning with that nourishing prayer that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And I want to pray it over each one of you. 
And I invite you to let it wash over you as I pray it now. And I invite you to let it nourish you. Brothers and sisters, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. To God be glory. The glory, brothers and sisters. Amen.